You're listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Morrillow and I'm excited that you're here. This podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we will be diving deeply into topics that keep you inspired and at your best. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, sharing tools and resources, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. Now, before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask a favor. Would you please go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to, subscribe and leave a rating and review? It would really help us out. It helps us to share our messages with as many people as we can, and it helps our guests get their messages out to more people. Thank you. Okay, so the title of today's episode is the number one ingredient for your life and business success. And I have with me Vasavi Kumar. Vasavi is a licensed therapist, coach, and speaker. Her mission is to bring out the very best in her clients. She has an extensive background in entrepreneurship, emotional and mental well-being, spirituality, and mindfulness, which qualifies her to provide simple solutions for a variety of situations that her clients are going through. Basavi's approach and perspective allows her to serve a wide range of clients, from small business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs and individuals looking to increase their fulfillment in all areas of life. So welcome. Thank you, Jane, so much for having me here. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Now, we've only just recently got to know each other, but I love your energy and I can't wait to get into conversation with you. So before we do, let me ask you a little bit about, you know, for our listeners, so they can get a sense of who you are as a human. Tell us a little bit about the human behind your professional bio. I love that question so much. Um, I wish more people asked that. I would say... (laughs) So the yeah, so the, the the professional bio is kind of really more like credibility, right? And like, oh, I have education and I have experience. But the human behind that is someone who is over a little over one year sober. I am new in recovery. I'm a year in recovery um, from alcohol and substance abuse. Congratulations! I, thank you. It's a it's a it's a huge it's a huge deal, and yet it is still one day at a time. So yeah. I remember when I hit my one year mark, which was on March 26th of this year. I wasn't too excited and I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't anything. I was very neutral about it because I'm like, you know, I'm proud of myself, but still go one day at a time. Um, I'm, I'm the daughter of Indian immigrants. So uh, I was raised with a very strong work ethic and um, deep devotion to our culture mm-hmm. and, and religion. Um, but, uh, you know, throughout my 37 years being here, I have really carved my own path and I've always been very curious about, well, what works for me? How do I feel about things and really kind of challenging all the things that were told that I had to do versus, well, what do I want to do and what feels good? So it's just, that's, that's really the human in me, I would say. Yeah. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that path there. Cause as you talk there, I just got a sense that, you know, I've got a little bit of a sense of you from you describing yourself there and your humanity. So thank you for that. And you've got a lot of kind of, it sounds like you've had a path that's weaved through many different worlds in a way. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I would say that path, 
as far as um, I, I took many different paths. I think from a very young age, I never quite felt like I fit in, right? So from a young age, I grew up in an all white town. My family was one of two Indian families. And I always tried to fit in like I was too Indian for the kids at school. And I was, you know, too Americanized for my house and the way my parents <laughs> were raising me. So I never felt like, man, I can't win. I can't win here. Right. So at school, I tried to be like everybody else and kind of really fit in and uh, mold myself to the likes of my classmates. And then at home, I had to be this kind of good Indian girl. And that conflict within myself really just uh, drove me a little crazy. And um, I would say that throughout the years, I've experimented. It's funny because because I was raised with such a rich Indian culture, the background, I've always gravitated towards you know, spiritual practices, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, <clears throat> but you know, your environment is everything. Mm. And we spend, you know, as children and as, as teenagers and young adults, we spend a lot of our time with our colleagues, our friends, our schoolmates. And I, I ended up really kind of going down this path of like smoking and drugs and drinking from, a, from like the age of 12, from the wow. age of 12. Yeah. Like, but, but then I, at home, I was trying to be this good Indian girl, you know, like don't want to, don't want to, you know, piss my mother off or anything, you know, she's, she's, she's a tough cookie and you didn't want to upset my mother. I did not want to ever upset my mother. So there was this constant conflict I would say within, but um, I would say that in spite of all that duality, Jane, I, I managed to always have this on and off on again, off again relationship with my higher self. Mm. So I could hear my conscience, you know, saying to me, you don't need to try so hard to fit in, or you know that this is not healthy for you, or why don't you know? So I that voice came to me, uh, in a in a whisper, and I did listen. You know, I um, when I got I, I have two masters, and my first master's is in special ed, my second master's is in social work from Columbia University. I you know I lived in India for a year in my twenties to uh, volunteer with um, survivors of sex trafficking. That part of my inner world, which was like wanting to help people from a very young age, I followed that path. But I always felt like while I was trying to help everybody else, I just couldn't get it together personally. You know, mm -hmm. so I was trying to save the world, but I could not for the life of me save myself. Wow. So it, th that really um, came to full, like a full stop, I would say, in October 2017. So, you know, I started my coaching practice in 2010. I had just graduated with my master's in social work from Columbia University. And then, you know, the coaching business, the coaching, you know, the, the coaching industry started to kind of boom in, in almost 10 years ago, right? And 2010 yeah. is when really when the economy crashed and everyone was kind of getting laid off. And so every, a lot of people were becoming coaches. So I decided to also become a coach. And I, I never knew I had this entrepreneurial streak in me. I never knew that I, I, I didn't even know what marketing was and I was marketing myself. You know what I mean? And so I found this, I found this kind of relief and release in business because I was able to control things. I was able to control how much money I made. I was able to control my time. I was able to control who I wanted to work with. So on the business front, um, it was fun for me. But like I said, on the personal side, that took me, you know, I got married at 28. I got divorced by the time I was uh, almost 32. Then I got into a rebound relationship with a recovering addict. And shortly after dating him, he moved in with me and I became an addict myself. And this was in um, 2015. 
And mind you, on the, per, on the professional front, I was making eight to $10,000 a month doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, but I had a closet cocaine addiction that was steadily getting worse. You know, I started off using cocaine once a week. I was making all this money. Cocaine is not a cheap habit to have. And um, the more money I made, the more I used. And what I now know being sober, year sober, is no amount of money that I made, no amount of uh, kind of in, you know, influence that I had, and no amount of all these people wanting to work with me fulfilled the large God-sized hole inside of me. Yeah. So I kept trying to fill that up with everything and anything. And unfortunately, I did not fill up that hole with prayer and God and, 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 you know, yoga and smoothies and all that, you know, all the things that we think are self-care. I, um, I latched onto drugs. I latched onto money and success. And I latched onto relationships, uh, romantic relationships. And I believe that for me personally, and I don't think your listeners need to get to this point, but I had to burn my life to the ground and I had to lose it all. And, um, it was on October 17th of 2017. I was completely coked up out of my mind at 5 a.m. in the morning. And a little voice inside of my head said, text your sister, ask her to come here. You need help. And it's so funny, Jane, because I, I really lost that. You know, I, I know I said that in the beginning, I always had that on again, off again relationship with my inner voice and my higher self. But you know, using cocaine for, for as much as I had been using and drinking and living this dual life, I completely lost connection to myself. So it was kind of odd for me that on that day in October, when I heard that voice again, that said, call your sister, I listened to it. And so at 5am central time, it was 6am Eastern time. My parents and family knew that something was up. And I texted my sister, I need you here. So she got on a flight two days later. And I checked myself into rehab um, 10 days later. So that was in October of 2017. And uh, because I'm a thorough learner and I never learned my lesson the first time, I had to go back into rehab last March of 2019. Now, uh, what went on between my first time in rehab and second time in rehab is actually pretty interesting. I, um, I had uh, gotten sober in 2017, like I said, seven months sober, and I had been dating the guy again, the one that I became a recovering, the, the one that I became an addict with. So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm healthy. I'm sober. Let's get back together. I'll make you healthy. No, that's not how it works. You cannot bring sickness back into your life when you're trying to get healthy. It's like the number one rule in recovery. People, places, and things that bring you down can no longer be really a, a, a close part of your life anymore. You got to keep it at a very large distance. So eventually because of my sobriety and I was no longer the same party girl that I was, he broke up with me and I relapsed seven months later. And um, I relapsed. It was the most uh, shameful time in my life because it showed me that I was weak and I truly was powerless and helpless. And um, it's funny because I ended up shortly after I relapsed, which was May of 2018, I got a job as a morning show co-host here in Austin on a morning show here called Studio 512. And I started that job in September of 2018. So it's funny because I relapsed in May. I got this job as a TV host. Like, thinking this is going to fix me. I got this job. I'm on live television. I have a stylist. I'm getting makeup done. Look at me world. Everything is all good. But uh, while I stopped using cocaine as, as a morning show co-host, I started drinking heavily on the weekends. 
And um, any job that makes you want to drink that much, you probably shouldn't be in, that I know. And um, I swapped one addiction for another is what I did. And I, got, and I, I learned a lot being on live television. Um, so I had that job from September 2018 until March 2019. And I got let go because my performance was not up to par. Because once again, I was leading a double life. I was essentially an imposter. Everyone on set at work thought that I was in recovery. But every Friday and Saturday, I'd be getting blackout drunk. So imagine what that does to your performance when you know you're living a lie. And you're keeping up that lie. And you, and you share it on live television that you're in recovery and you're sober. Yet Friday comes around, I'm back home at 3 p.m. I'm drinking three, four, five bottles of wine to my, to my head that night. You know what I mean? So I'm living a lie. So I'm, I'm living the imposter life. I'm truly living and being an imposter and feeling fake and fraudulent. And it showed up in my performance. I love being on television. And now when I do TV work or any sort of video work, I'm great. And, and I'm like, wow, what was the difference? And it was like, oh, I'm no longer living a lie. So I have no demons that I'm trying to hide. Because when you're on live television, people see everything. They hear you. They see you. And so if you're trying so hard to not allow those lies come to surface and you're working very hard on managing your, the perception of others, that is going to affect your performance. Yeah. So I, I got let go in March of 2019. And I remember March 26th, so I'd been drinking for 10 days straight after I got fired and um, talking to my mother and she called me up. She said, I know you're drinking and I know you're using cocaine again. I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. How could you say that about me? How could you, you know, denial, denial. And um, she said, well, give me a urine test. By the way, I'm 36 at this point, right? I'm 36 years old. And um, my mother was like, I need a urine test. I said, no. I go, you shouldn't, how dare you ask me for a urine test? <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. of course. And so I surrendered in that moment. I'll never forget it. I was standing in my kitchen, arguing with my mother. And I said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this. I'm going to go back into rehab. So I checked myself back into rehab and I went into rehab. My sober date is March 26th. I checked myself into rehab March 27th. And um, I, set, I went into rehab, residential rehab here in Austin. And I said to my counselors, whatever I need to, and they, and they all remembered me because it was my second time back there again. Right. And I said to my counselor, Carl, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I am never coming back here again. I am never going to come back into rehab again. I refuse to identify with this part of myself again. Like I, I, will, I will confront this part of myself that keeps bringing me back here, but I will never be back here. I will do the work. And so that's what I did, Jane. I did the work. And I continue to do the work every day because it's not like, oh, I did the work. I'm healed. I'm done. I'm perfect. It's, I, I, I did the work to get to a year of sobriety and I continue to do the work every day because it truly is one day at a time. Wow. That's listening to you here, listening to you talking through your path. I mean, it's been some journey you have been on to get to this point today. And I, I had goosebumps as you were talking at certain points in your story there because, you know, what I got a sense of was the oh gosh the the emotional pain can I call it that yeah you know of living that lie of losing yourself so completely really in your life and then of finding yourself again so completely and then losing yourself again and you know 
the way you tell it now, it's devoid of shame. It's, it's like you're, you're, you're telling it in a way that's inspiring. It's full of, I heard, you didn't say the words, but I heard resilience, Masavi, as you were talking. That's what I got. So I'd love to know, like, like what's your secret? Like, how, <laughs> how the, in a way, how the hell <laughs> have you lived through this and become this incredibly resilient and, I don't know, like, you just I don't know either, seem Jane. so whole. <laughs> You seem so whole. Uh, that is that is the greatest compliment anyone can give me. Um, I, I will say it is not any one thing. Like, here's the thing, okay, that I really want your listeners to get. Yeah. Only I know the excruciating, devastating right. pain right. of having to sit alone with myself and hate myself and feel, you know, here I was, Vasavi Kumar, making eight to 10,000 a month. And now I'm getting financial support from my mother. She's paying my bills. My mother is paying all my bills. And I'm very blessed that I have my family because I said to them and we made the agreement, listen, I'm going to go into rehab again. I need one solid year to myself. I don't want to work. I will, I will freelance write. I will, I will use my other skills, but I don't want to work with people. I don't want to coach anybody. I don't want to do anything for anybody else right now. And I need to be with myself. And I got to tell you, the fact that I managed to, the, the real golden nugget is that I had $7 in my checking account just five months ago and was receiving Google Pay payments from my mother, right? Mm -hmm. Last month, so we're talking this month of, the month of March, I made $11,000 in my business. How that happened is not through marketing strategies and tricks and tips. Yes, I'm a marketer. I know how to market. But that truly comes, number one, the grace of God. Number two, I have learned to cultivate a relationship with myself. And here's the kicker. I started to love myself even with $7 in my checking account. My self-worth and self-esteem has stayed the same regardless of whether I've had $7 in my checking account to collecting 11,000 this month. So it really was the unshakability and the knowing who I am and that the money in my bank account does not mean anything in terms of who I am as a person. And that, and, and like I, I personally had to lose everything. I had to be stripped away of all the external shiny and blingy. Like, let me just be straight up. I had, a, I had, um, familial financial support. I have a car. I have a roof over my head. I have food in the fridge. Other than that, and that is a lot. I learned like that is more than what more than half the world even has. Right. And I am very aware, but the things that I placed importance as far as this will make me like, how many followers do I have? How many e email list subscribers do I have? How much, you know, monthly revenue am I making? None of that matters to me anymore. None of it. I don't care. What matters is, can I look in the mirror and truly say, I like this person staring at, back at me? Do I respect this person staring back at me? Number two, when nobody's watching, am I bullshitting myself? Am I being honest with myself? Because honesty with myself is the only way that I've gotten here. Sitting through the discomfort of feeling unworthy, unlovable, 
unattractive, because I also became single in my sobriety, by the way. I was in a relationship. I was engaged to somebody. Um, and once I got sober, I was like, bro, you drink too much. <laughs> you know, you, it's funny when you act, when the brain fog starts to lift, you start to see things clearly. But when you're drinking along with your partner, right, everything seems fine. And then once I got sober, I was like, man, you have a drinking problem. So our relationship painfully fizzled away, right? So I was sober. I was living alone. I was single. And I had my mother taking care of me financially. Sober, single, broke. But I have never felt more rich on the inside. Mm. And now everything is building, right? Clients are coming to me. I am unabashedly putting stuff out, content out there that I maybe normally would not have said in the way that I say it. I'm putting dance videos of myself. Like I'm just showing myself <laughs> and I don't care what you think of me because I know me. I don't need you to like me. I don't need you to buy my products or services. I don't need you to comment and like on my post because I like me. I have an inner commentary with myself that's kind and compassionate. I don't need that from anybody. And we talk about self-love and we talk about self-care and we talk about don't care about other people's opinions of you. But how do we actually get to that point? Sit with yourself. Get to know yourself, the parts of yourself that you are extremely ashamed of when you feel useless and unworthy and unneeded and you feel like a loser, like I have felt, and you can still not have to numb it through alcohol, through sex, through media, through working, overworking, through drugs, and you can just sit with it and you don't have to run with it. That is when you will begin to cultivate a relationship with yourself and be able to handle anything. That is when you become strong on the inside. Push-ups don't do that. Green smoothies don't do that. Reading tons of books and podcasts. Yeah, they're all supplemental. But the real work is to not have to numb, avoid, deny, and sweep the parts of yourself that you absolutely hate. And the parts of myself that I absolutely hated that I could not run from because alcohol was no longer a viable option. Relationship was no longer a viable option. Going to the bar, going to my drug dealer was no longer a viable option. My only option was to sit my ass down and be with myself. And I didn't run. And because I don't run from myself anymore, I respect myself so much because you can't mess with me because I didn't run from me. And I have respect for myself. You get what I'm saying, Jane? Oh, gosh. I was like... Oh, amen, you know, because what I'm also hearing that you're not saying in a way, but it's something that I hold very dear. Um, and, you know, and I work with a lot of coaches and, um, you know, without kind of putting coaches down, because that's not what this is about. There are a number of people that are coaching from what I would say is like an unhealed story of their mm -hmm. own. They haven't done their own work first and therefore everything for them is hard. It's like pushing water uphill because they're not showing up. To their life they're not yeah. their whole right yeah and what i want to what i really really value in what you're saying about your path is that you voted for yourself there was a time where you said i can't be like with anybody else i can't coach anybody else i can't inspire them i can't help them change i can't do any of that work until i've sorted me out first so I need some time to do this because I'm not just going to do this at the shallow level, the veneer. 
I'm actually going to go to the depths. I'm, I'm going to, you know, life has brought me to my knees and I'm going to go there and I'm going to face what I need to face. And I'm going to get to know all parts of me, not just the bits that are nice and shiny that I know I can put out to the world and that'll be accepted, but the parts that I really hate. I don't like these parts of me. And mm-hmm. now you're at this space where it's like, there's a, there's a fierceness in the way you communicate now, Asavi, that was that there before? I'd really love to know. Uh, No, there wasn't. There was just, I was just talking, talking about it (laughs) and not being it. I was like, yeah, be confident, be confident. Listen, well, it's really clear, Jane, right? All all the stuff that I work with my clients on, nothing about my content has changed. Like, yes, my deliveries may be different. The meat of my content, if you go to like my YouTube channel and go to like, I have Keeping It Real with Asavi videos, the stuff that I say in my videos is the same. The only difference is that I actually believe my own bullshit now, right? Before it was like, <laughs> do this, live your best life. And now I, yeah. that, the fierceness in which you hear me talking is because it's like, it is in me now. It is in me. It is no longer just, um, just like um, hearsay. It's, it's not just me speaking. It is, I have lived it. I can feel it. It is running through me. That is a big difference. Yeah. Now, I want to take you back if I can, because I, I really want to hear what you say to this question. So you had two points that you were in rehab, two points in your life, milestones, thresholds for change, where you thought, okay, I've got to change now. That My life has got to be different, right? Mm-hmm. And in one of them, you relapsed. And in this one now, this latest one, you know, it sounds like you're now on track, you're on path, right? Yeah. What was the difference there? What, what made this time different to the first time? You know, when I walked into rehab, like I said, the second time, and so this was exactly what happened. I got in to residential rehab, right? I walk in the door and there are at least like three people like, Vasavi, we're so happy to have you back. And I'm like, what the bloody hell? Just last week, I was the morning show co-host right. for a show and now I'm back in rehab the shame and the embarrassment of me being back here again. And I've always, know, I've always had a vision and a knowing of who I could be. I've always known that. I've never questioned my ability and my potential. And I know that I'm special. I've always known God made me special. I'm not saying nobody else is special. I'm talking about myself. I always knew I had something. I always felt it. I knew when God made me, he, 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 he put some extra work into me and he, and he made me, he's making me jump through all these hoops to get to where I am eventually meant to be. And I've always had this vision for myself. So I was really confronted with when I walked into those doors in rehab and they were like, Vasavi, so great to see you. I was like, oh, hell no. This is not, this is not it. This is not my, this is not going to be where I end up. So I was like, well, I'm here now. I got to, this is it. This is my, this is my second chance. We get multiple chances at life, Jane, and you could either utilize it or let it go and have to learn the lesson and do it over and over. And I refuse. I was like twice and I'm done. That's it. I'm, I'm going to do whatever you want me to go to 90 AA meetings in 90 days. Fine. You want me to work with the sponsor again, go through the 12 steps again. Fine. You want me to never contact my ex, the one that was a, you know, addict also again, fine. Don't need to talk to him again. You need me to meditate every morning. Fine. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. So at that point, I had to take off, put aside my pride and act like I know everything because Vasavi doesn't know how to shut up. Vasavi thinks she knows everything. 
Vasavi's like, I got it, I got it, I got it. No, she doesn't. Because if I really had gotten it, I wouldn't have been here the second time around. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, so I, I just refused to identify with the, with, with, I refused to allow this part of myself run the show ever again, but I knew I had to give myself, I gave myself a year. And by the way, it is for the rest of my life, right? Like I want to get to two years. I want to get to three years. I'm going to, but I just, I had never given myself a year of anything, Jane. I'd given myself, you know, two, three, four years of being dedicated in a romantic relationship. And I'm going to make this relationship work with this broken guy and I'm broken and I'm going to make it work. But I had never given myself the relief. I was like, if I could give myself the same time, money, energy, effort, love, compassion, support that I do with all these men in my life that are now failed relationships, why can't I give that to myself? So I did. Something in me just, it was my pivot moment. It was just, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm sick and tired of this Vasavi. But I knew that in order to get here, I couldn't hate her anymore. I couldn't treat her like crap anymore. She was screaming to be heard. That wounded, traumatized child inside of me that I had neglected for so long was like, well, this is what happens when you don't pay attention to me, mom. Right. Yeah. And it was my job to reparent myself. Yes. It sounds like, you know, and, and it sounds like a cliche when I say this, but you know, it sounds like you're all in now. It sounds like, um, you know, that, that cliche that Gandhi said, like, be the change. Don't just like do the change, but be the change. And, uh, and it sounds like your commitment now, there's no falter. There's nothing. It's like, this is me. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, and I, I don't hear anything mm-hmm. that's not certain that's not inevitable even in what you're saying no not at all because it's like i like i said here's the thing right i mean no one it's one thing for me to talk about this too jane right like after the fact Mm -hmm. but only i remember and know and i maybe i'm not being articulate but like i know in my first few months especially the first oh my god the first six months of sobriety were like a killer being by myself, I had gained weight. I was making no money because I wasn't marketing myself, right? I was like, where do I even begin? Do I like redo my website? Do I do this? Do I, do I, well, what do I do? Do I get MailChimp? Like all, I had been in business already for 10 years, by the way, right? And here I am like, because the old way wasn't working. The way that I used to do business, it's like, first of all, let me just say this. I thought I had to change everything. You and my recovery. And by the way, for you guys listening, your recovery may not be a drug addiction or alcohol. It could be a divorce. It could just be you're sick and tired of the way you're doing business or, or you're doing life and or being in life. And for me, it wasn't, I have to change everything. I needed time to get clear and hear myself. So all the ideas that I had never felt good enough because it was just too much. I just had to slow down and feel comfortable in my skin. I just had to be able to love myself even in the darkest crappiest moments and from there a, uh, a seed was planted and a, and a and one little green leaf was born right I, I couldn't rush that process so like I said just five months ago wait what did I say just like five, yeah five months ago I had seven dollars in my checking account mm-hmm. it took some time so that's basically with you know within the first five months of my recovery Um, seven months, it took me seven months in my recovery to really like just be 
And then I started getting clearer. By the way, um, when I relapsed, if you remember me saying, I relapsed the first time um, at seven months. So for me, it was very important that I got over that this time. I was like, I'm going to make it past seven months. Let me, let me, because then like, it's almost like I, I'm setting a new goal, right? Because last time I relapsed at seven, so I went over. And then I started to feel like, okay, one thing at a time. So um, I started to write down little goals every night. Like, okay, uh, today I'm going to look at my current website. I'm going to take off everything that I don't like. I'm going to start thinking about, I'm going to just, you know, sometimes my actions were spend an hour thinking and dreaming. Like, honestly, I, I, you know, if you go to my website now, if you go to my Instagram now, all the content that I have, that has been a work in progress. Like, but once you get clear, Jane, no, no one can stop you. The reason why a lot of people feel like they're spinning is because they're just throwing stuff against the wall. And while that really is a lot of what entrepreneurship can feel like, I cannot tell you the value of just getting to know myself and all the ideas were merging, uh, were emerging, sorry. And um, it's funny because all the things that I'm putting out now are things that I've always wanted to do, but I never gave it the importance because I just hadn't spent the time with myself and really asked myself what I wanted. How do I want to be, how, what kind of content do I want to put out there? You know, and all the ideas that have been stuck inside of me because I had so much of the personal life that I had to get handled. It's all coming out and it's all being executed effortlessly, you know, and it, it is hard work. I, I spend a lot of time on the things that I do, but it's not, it's, it's, it's so gratifying because I'm not trying to put out fires in my personal life anymore. You get what I'm saying? Like everything is just kind of flowing. Let me tell you something. I protect my heart and my energy and my mental space so fiercely. And I was just saying this to a sober brother of mine who's in the, who's in the recovery world with me. I say, you know, this one year I did it. I know by the grace of God and with my, with my sober brothers and sisters and my sponsor, and my family, but nobody can take this away from me. And that's why I hold on to it so fiercely. You can't mess with me. And it's because I didn't mess with me. You know what I'm saying? I you, see. yeah, you, you could call me, you could call me right now, Jane, you could say, Voss, you, you're a hot mess or Voss, you're, you're an idiot. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, whatever. That's what you yeah. think of me. That's fine. Just like I that. Because yeah. that speaks to such resilience. It speaks to wholeness. It speaks to the fact that you've done your work and you know who you are. You're not looking outside to see how well you're doing. You know on the inside how well you're doing. And I it, love that. It's yeah. so refreshing. It really is. But I know we've probably got listeners that are thinking, okay, so you went from very little in your bank account to now over 10K a month. How did you do that? <laughs> okay, so I will say, well, the funniest thing is, so remember I said I was making eight to 10,000 a month in my, yeah. um, in my business. So last time when I was doing that, I was working with probably 20 clients and charging and, and had a lower price point. But let me tell you what happened. I raised my rates this time. I said, I, I'm getting paid for what I know. I know a lot. I know a lot and I'm very direct with my feedback and I customize all my uh, coaching that I do for people. And, I, my, and I'm not saying my worth is tied into a price tag at all, but I started to see the value that I bring. So normally I would charge, you have to remember I'm a licensed therapist. And so most licensed therapists charge 150 an hour, but you forget, I, I have to remind myself, I got the business aspect too. 
and I've worked so hard on my marketing and my business and pitching myself and all, and I, I have invested so much money on this brain of mine. And I, on the personal front, I have invested so much to be the person that I am. So I probably more than doubled all my prices. I do, and, and, and so I work with less people now at a mm -hmm. higher rate. And I have a, and so for me, um, the next step for me is, you know, really how do I reach more people? But once again, what I love about having been in recovery is that it will come to me. I already know what I want. The answer will come to me. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's what I tell myself every day. Mm. But um, the way that I was able to hit the 11,000, so if I had to break down the numbers, you know, I have multiple, you know, different packages that I offer. Some of them are reoccurring packages and some of them are one-off. Well, you know, when you're in business, you, you know, the beautiful thing is you get to decide how you want to work with people. There are people that come to me and work with me for an hour and it's 300 bucks and they may reach out to me later. They may not. But if I can in that one hour help them solve their one challenge and they're good to go, my job is done. Why do I need to put you in a 12 month contract with me? I'm not a gym. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I you know, but, but then I have people that are like, you know what boss, I need that accountability. So I have a 90 day package, right? So it's like, I, I thought about how I want to work with people and um, I created my packages based on that. It just, all my prices are on my site. I am upfront about things. I probably break a lot of the marketing and sales rules. Like don't put your prices on your site. Don't do this. But if you knew me and you knew what I went through, then you, it makes sense why I'm just upfront about it all. This is what I do. This is how much I charge. Take it or leave it. I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> the right, you know, and like, you know, and, and I'm not knocking how anyone does anything, but I'm just, it's just knowing yourself. I don't have anything. I don't have um, a free offer on my site. If you dig a little bit, there are links embedded for like free trainings. But when you go to my site, there is a $9 audio training. It's a $9 audio training, which I put a lot of effort into because in my mind, if you cannot pay $9 to even download any of my stuff, like you're, you're not my, you're not my target audience. If you want free, free, free all the time, and you're not really willing to put in the work, you're going to put your email. I don't want your email address. I want you to do the work. I want, I want, I want there to be a transaction here. I got knowledge that you need, and there's a financial transaction that takes place for you to get my knowledge. I'm not, I'm not in the business, I, you know, but free content, I do that on my social media. I have videos. I have like those um, Instagram carousel photos with like how to's and this and that. That's how I show my free stuff. But so, you know, once again, there's no right or wrong. Do what works for you. People will come to you. Just be yourself. And, 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 you know, Jane, we talk about being yourself and people are like, I don't know how to do that. Spend time with yourself. Really get to know who you are. Exactly. Yeah. So I have to ask you, because the title of our, of our conversation today is the number one ingredient for your life and business success. So what is that? The number one ingredient for my life and business success? Um, I am in, I talk to myself. I understand my thinking. I know my mind and I know where my thoughts can destroy me. And I know when my thoughts can help me create things. I know my mind and I don't believe any of the thoughts in my head. So I have spent a lot of time understanding myself and my thoughts. And I know that I have a mind, but I am not my mind. I have thoughts and I am not my thoughts. And I choose which thoughts I want to believe. 
That doesn't mean I'm in denial, but I don't give weight to every single one of my thoughts. They're just thoughts. I choose the ones that drive me forward. If there's one that's very persistent, that's nagging me, I will sit and I will give it the attention it deserves. Like what's really going on here? I, I, I set aside time and I don't push things under the rug. Um, like if I have a thought in my head that's persistent, I won't be like, go away. Cause you wouldn't do that to a child, would you? You wouldn't do that to a child. So your, your inner voice, that inner child, that ego, is that part of myself that wants to be heard? That little girl that maybe was neglected and felt abandoned and rejected and unheard and unloved? I don't ignore that because she is trying to tell me something. And if I don't listen to her, it will persist. So I understand my, my, my thinking very much. I've spent a lot of time in my head. So we spend a lot of time in our head. So we better understand that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me of, uh, I had an experience when I was in my early 20s. I remember going to a spiritual retreat and after the uh, teacher had finished on stage, I, I went up to him and kind of queued up to talk to him. And at the point I was in a difficult point in my life. And I remember going up to him and saying, and he, he was very nice. And I just said to him, he said, have you got a question for me? And I said, yeah, I do. I said, I'm, I'm really struggling in my life right now. And I really don't know what to do. And he, he took hold of my hand and he just went, Jane, you're not struggling. You just think you are. And then he walked off. <laughs> and at the time, like I was in my early 20s, I was like, oh, like what? And it took me, I've got to say, it took me probably about a decade to really understand what he was speaking to there. And I heard you speak to a similar thing. So um, I love that you brought that up, Vasavi, because I think once we realize we're not our thoughts, we're not our emotions, we are so much more than that. I think a whole new world opens up for us. Yes. So there's no doubt you've been on a path of change through your life. So I just want to hear from you, you know, uh, what is the change that you now take a stand for, for yourself and others? I would say, I'm thinking about this one, you know, because there's, there's mm. so many, but it would be, listen, listen to what you want and pay attention to how you feel and stop trying to save the world when your life is a hot mess. Like give yourself the attention that you deserve. Like actually take the time to sit with yourself, to get to know yourself. And that can be in the form of through, through meditation, through planning a date night for yourself, through if you have a, you know, um, eating for your wellness, not just eating for your taste buds, right? It's like pay attention to what your body and your mind and your soul is saying to you. Be responsible for yourself. Nobody is responsible for you. Nobody. And, you know, that's where it can get a little tricky because for many of us who maybe were neglected emotionally, physically, um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if we were neglected as children, nobody really taught us how to love ourselves. And it is our job to do that. It is our job to tend to ourselves and be the, be the mother and father to ourselves that we didn't have. It's your yeah. responsibility. Would you say this is your calling in life to help other people in this space? Um, it's funny. Okay, you know, Jane, I'm so happy you asked me that because it's funny because what I, what I get paid to do is help people with their message and their media strategy. 
and the mindset is always weaved in, right? The mindset piece. Yeah. To be really honest with you, because I don't know any other way to be, I don't know how to teach this to people. Right. Because no one taught me. I had to just do it. And I, I, I wish I, I had a more brilliant answer, but that is the truth. That is really where I'm at. It's like, I can't force you to do anything. I can give you the suggestions. I can tell you how to, I can offer, you know, guided meditation, YouTube videos. I can talk to you, but if you don't have anything really to lose, then that change comes from within. I, I can't package this. And I refuse to make an online course out of this because right. I'm, it's, right. <laughs> I, I, all I can do is share my story. But, and by the way, I have had clients that I've worked with and they're ready. They're just like, okay, just tell me what to do. And I don't have a lot of those clients because most people say they want to change and they don't. And I know personally how long it took for me to get to this point, you know? Yeah. So all I can do is share. All I can do is provide how to's. All I can do is give my little tips, but you're on your own. This is your path. This is your journey. I'm sorry. God help you. That's because that's the only thing that helped me is the grace of God and me surrendering. That's it. Yeah. And, and I'm totally with you. Cause I think we, you are the guide. You, you can't, you're absolutely right. What you're saying. And I want to challenge you back. Right. Cause yeah. here's what I want to tell you that having listened to you now in your story, there is something that you are giving people, you know, you are giving people hope. Right. And I yeah. think if we don't have hope, we can't step into change in a way that's going to make a sustainable difference in our lives. Mm -hmm. And your story, the fact that you have been through everything you've been through and you're here at this place, right? Mm -hmm. And I get, I heard you say when you said, I, you know, I don't know if it's my calling really. I wonder if it is, and I'm not saying it is because it's for you to decide, but mm -hmm. I wonder if it is because part of me thinks we live our lives and we get challenges and we go through experiences potentially so that we can then be further down the road than other people and help them along their path, guide them because we've been there. And I sometimes think that's our most powerful work that we can do in the world. So it doesn't yeah. matter how you package it, messaging, whatever. I have a sense intuitively that this is what you're already doing you just might not be aware of it i appreciate that and i i gotta tell you where i don't want to get caught up right this is what yeah, i do it it's like it's like oh i'm already doing this how do i package it how do i monetize it i i refuse to do that if i can oh, no, no 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 that's yeah. not what i'm talking about oh yeah no I'm no no yeah. calling absolutely yeah to weave this in to find the opportunities and the places uh, what did you say? The people, the places, and the things yep. where you can create that hope, where you can be the guide, where you can help yeah. and inspire others. Because I, I feel it in you. I feel it in your story. I feel it in your message. Thank you. Okay, I'm watching the time, and I just want to ask you a very quick final question. If there was sure. something you hoped we'd get to today, something you want to share with our listeners, what might it be? I would say... Do the thing for yourself, not for your business right now. Do the thing for yourself, for your heart that it most needs right now. And keep it simple. It could be 
five minutes in the sun. It could mean walking your dog. It could be taking the time to make a nice meal. It could be sitting and just relaxing. Give yourself permission to unwind. That's it. I love it. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was deep. It was filled with your soul and you just opened so completely and shared your vulnerability. I really want to honor that and thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm sure it's inspired so many people, Vasavi. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening in. And before we finish, I want you to know why this podcast exists. At Sacred Changemakers, we believe in a better world. And we believe that your life and your business can be a powerful force for good. We also know that business today more than ever is a key driving force in evolutionary change and that we all have the capability to facilitate this change. We can all be change makers and bring our sacred work to the world. If deep down you know you have more potential yet to emerge, let us help you. Join us at sacredchangemakers.com and consider joining our engaged and supportive community that many of our members call home. We help you make a bigger impact by unleashing your soul work into the world. These are the incredible people who make this podcast possible because our members are our sponsors. Together, we can make the world a better place. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. And for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your efforts and your intentions to make our world a better place.